0: Coming up on Office Hours with Carp and Loge, Pierre Loge talks so much about soccer, so much about soccer. But then when he's done talking about soccer, we have a real interesting conversation about things like Andrew Yang's forward party being the dumbest idea since the last dumb idea that he had. And also we make a lot of fun of WinRed for being bad at email fundraising and draw some real lessons about what it would mean to be good at email fundraising. Tune in. Welcome
1: back, people of the Potterverse, to season two, episode five of Office Hours with Carp and Loge, your strategic communications hot takes with footnotes. And now with a brand new
0: t-shirt from my co-host Dave Carp. Dave, Dave, show the people. Uh, this is you know a visual medium, of course. So I'm <laughs> directing the part. Uh, I'm wearing my lovely I only listen to podcasts about the mountain goats t-shirt. Uh, it is a t-shirt. About a podcast, which is about the band the Mountain Goats. Uh, there have been two seasons uh, of it. It's an excellent, excellent podcast, and uh, I thought it would annoy my co-host. So here we are. <laughs> you know what? what are you, doing? Are you, are you I, I'm
1: not annoyed at all. I think it, we're on YouTube, so stand up and show the people. We have several listeners. You see.
0: there There you go there you go there you You go really well on stitcher and apple music uh go ahead and rate us for our visuals you know we're all very meta
1: we're all very meta we know there are other ways you could be spending your podcast time and dave is explaining what they are and what you should turn us off to listen to but
0: the (laughs) difference between us and meta is that we are not losing money like that company is all
1: right i'm peter loge i don't have any clever meta t-shirts Uh, But I I did learn about some interesting podcasts in the New York Times that I'm not going to share because I don't want anyone listening to anything else. Before we get into it, I do have to give a special shout out to the the England women's uh, soccer team, national soccer team, for winning the Euros yesterday, beating Germany in um, extra time. Thriller of a game. And I do want to note, this is the first major soccer trophy England has won since the men won the World Cup in the mid-1960s. The largest crowd ever for a European championship game of men's or women's side, 87,000 people at Wembley, beating the previous record of 79,000 set in 1964. There's only the third largest attended sporting event in Europe this year. The previous two were both women's games, Barcelona against Real Madrid and Barcelona against Wolfsburg. Uh, BBC alone had 18 million viewers, countless more on ESPN+. A big deal for the sport, a big deal for the English women. A terrific, terrific game. So huge shout out.
0: I have nothing to say about that because it is about a sport that I don't watch in a country that I do not live in, but good for them. them. And it's actually, but it's legitimately changing the sport, right? I mean, it's,
1: it's, you think what the, what the 99 women did in the U S had a bunch of little girls going, wow, I can do that. I can be done. It was at the Rose Bowl and now it's at Wembley and Wembley is a cathedral of, of a global sport. And you've got little girls all over England going, wow, I could be me i could be paris who got a, a great run out the last few minutes of the game they can see themselves in that future which is fantastic and women across young girls across germany spain france italy a lot of the other teams that just have really fantastic really fantastic soccer
0: my oldest daughter does really like to play soccer she likes to tell me she's really good at it um, the parts that she doesn't know how to do yet are passing and kicking the ball through the uh, net so besides those two things really good at soccer she loves yeah. it you should you should have her have her watch the angle game
1: also uh, wayne rooney won his first game in charge of these united so it's a good soccer weekend. All okay this is too much soccer now none of which you care about but you got your t-shirt so i get my thing you want to talk about stuff that people tune in to talk about let's What's do it fun? so <laughs> we're off to a really middling start here Dave. We, we save uh, us
0: we're in time here it is august for academics um can we pause for just a second and note Joe Manchin weirdly being both badass and the good guy. Pretty cool. So I had started to get myself used to the cold reality that there would be no climate bill in this Congress, just like there was no uh, climate bill in the 2009 to 2011 Congress, that like once again, Democrats, even with the trifecta, weren't gonna be able to pass anything. Uh, and that this was just the world we lived in, and that this time the reason we live in that world is because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, in my mind, were just bad people. They were just being bad, and that's that. That was what was going to do in the world. And then a thing happened last week where, after they passed the Chips Bill, um, which is about uh, micro microprocessor uh, manufacturing in the United States to compete with China China's microprocessor manufacturing, um, which is a bill with bipartisan support that. Republicans were planning to hold up unless the Democrats said, okay, fine, we won't do reconciliation. They were gonna hold it hostage because they didn't wanna give Joe Biden a win and they thought we can hold this hostage. So after that got passed, Joe Manchin then turned around with Chuck Schumer and were like, oh, by the way, now that that that's done, we're doing reconciliation with tax provisions, with climate, like not with everything, not with everything that a progressive like we would want, but with a bunch of good stuff and Republicans are screaming bloody murder because they weren't able to hold the bill hostage that they wanted to hold hostage. And it's starting to look like good things might be possible unless Kirsten Cinema decides to ruin everything. Do we live in a better world than I thought?
1: I think I think we might live in a better world, a more clever world. It, it's a one more reminder that in politics, nothing is true until it's already happened, right? Because when I was a consultant, the good rule of thumb was nothing is true until the check clears. <laughs> and we're taping this on a Monday. And, and there's still a lot of time for this to go sideways, but it seems like something good is going to happen. Not as much as should happen for the health of the planet, but it is a thing moving forward. It's a win and we're going to take the win. And we've talked about this with climate in the past. There are local actions, subnational actors, the state of California signing a deal with the country of Canada. Um, the Basques in the semi-autonomous region are doing their own climate deals and they're working on their own climate stuff across Europe, but also national or, uh, globally. At this point, we're mitigating, we're not solving, but it's, yeah, it's all optimistic. And this is also, at the same time for inside baseball fans, when Republicans are getting pilliared for fist bumping, killing a bill, mm-hmm. right, on Veterans Health or on burn pits. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing. First of all, they voted against it. And then they were caught on camera fist bumping, denying veterans health care. Yeah. Unreal. So we'll take the win, it's gonna be, it's in August, it's a blip, who knows, but yeah, it's
0: a good thing. Yeah. Nice things are possible, even when it looks like nice things are really impossible, um, which is a thing that I rarely get to say. The Honestly. world is a little bit better than I thought that it was. We're all, it's, it's the 2020s, I'm always disappointed, even though my <laughs> expectations of the world are pretty low. Good things are happening, yay! I, you know, I look at the transcript of this, I pull quotes and put,
1: put on, uh, on social media and that one is going to live in perpetuity or at least in a couple of milliseconds for the person who happens to see it scrolling by looking for snarky Dave rather than optimistic
0: Dave. <laughs> He'll be back. Well, speaking of snarky Dave, um, why don't we talk about Andrew Yang and the forward party now? Oh, please snark away. Cause I have, I have some thoughts too. So, and I wrote <laughs> about this on Substack by the way. We need um, a new. I'm going to interrupt for
1: a second. We need a new podcast just called Snarky Dave. And I'll just, I'll just set you up and you can snark until you're done snarking. And then I'll ask you another question. I'll be like the, you can like just,
0: I think that'd be it. Snarky Dave. I um So that's a different title. I gotta <laughs> warn you though. I think that might be this podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> Snarky Dave and Pete. <laughs> so, um, Andrew Yang. And like I said, I I wrote about this on Substack because I'm writing a lot about a lot of things on Substack right now. But this dude who back in, I think it was October 2021, launched a third party called the Forward Party. Not left, not right, but forward. Get it? So he launched that because he had written a book and it was like a cute marketing tactic to say like, not only am I writing a book, like not only have published a book, but also look, there's a political party for it. Um, Which was like, good job marketing department dumb for politics. So they have now combined with two uh, organizations that call themselves movements that no one has heard of. Um, Each of them is like 20 Republicans who got drummed out of the Republican Party for being too reasonable. But those three have now joined forces to become the forward party. And they don't have a platform, but they're centrists. And they promise that their centrism without a platform is the thing that's going to transform politics. And it's just like. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And it's exactly the same kind of dumb that we get every four years. Right. So we had Howard Schultz from Starbucks, who was pulling the Zantics back in 2015-ish. He gave up by 2016. Uh, There was the minute, the, the minute and a half that Michael Bloomberg was running in the Democratic primary, which wasn't a third party, but like was noteworthy because in, what was it, 2016 and a bit of 2012, we had Projects that were thinly veiled. Dear Michael Bloomberg, please save us if you're the third party. Everyone will go to it. And when he entered the Democratic primary, people were like, wow, he has a lot of money. Wait, never mind. Uh, also, Elizabeth Warren destroyed him on stage. It was beautiful. But so we've had all of these third party attempts. Basically every time my favorite of them, because I wrote about it at the time, uh, was Americans elect back back in 2012, which Tom Friedman lost his mind over. Tom Friedman was like, he wrote a column where he said like what Amazon did to bookstores, Americans elect is about to do to the two party system. And then they couldn't that like, what they were doing was like using the internet to have a third party and they let everybody just come and they would be a platform and people would select a candidate and they didn't get enough people to select a candidate to even find a candidate to put on the ballot. It was just this giant money pit of like rich centrists who don't understand politics, but get confused by consultants. That happens every four years. It is 2022. We don't even have the 2022 election uh, done yet. And they're already doing it now. I think that the appropriate thing, like the appropriate moral response is to make fun of these people because they ought to know better. The consultants who are cashing checks, well, I'm sure that money is gonna be real nice. They can like buy a new, uh, like a, a new summer house. Um, they should feel guilty because the stakes here are, it's not just that it's gonna end up distracting a bit from American politics, but a third, like a third party is not going to work if it, well, I mean, in general, a third party is not gonna work, but particularly it's not going to work when it's made up of centrist with not enough support to win a primary anywhere ever like we have a two-party system because of the structure of our electoral system. This is on Substack. I don't want to go into a a deep hole about DuVergé's law on on a podcast, but y'all can read about it. The only thing that can fix the Republican party is the Republican party. Like the way that American politics gets better is the Trumpists and the Republican party who took it over need to start losing internal fights. And instead we've got the Ford party basically saying to them, hey, instead of fighting with the Trumpists, why don't you come hang out with us instead? We'll just let the Trump is the Republican Party and we'll have like an internet platform or like like a, a website without a, a political platform. So it's it's ridiculous and embarrassing and unserious in a time when we need to be more serious.
1: So I think I agree with with virtually all of that. I agree with virtually okay. all of that. It's the you I know, wrong?
0: once again,
1: you know, those that have been around Washington for a while are used to reading the late David Broder's every four-year column on this. I, I understand the urge. Most Americans, most of the time, are not. On either one of these extremes, they get tired of the anger. They want something in the middle. Therefore, let's give them what they want. But as you note, that misses the structural issue, mm-hmm. right? We have a, as you as you noted, or we have a two party system because of the way of our elections are structured, right? We effectively have third party interests, and they're embedded within political parties, right? I remember I'm old enough to remember, and I'm older than you. Old enough as you routinely older, point right. out. That I'm old enough to remember a Republican Party that loved free trade and hated Russia mm-hmm. because I remember 2015. Right? We didn't get a third party that made the Republican, that made the, the the venal awful part of the Republican Party in the foreground. You had a movement within the Republican Party that drove it there. Mm-hmm. Right. The Democratic Party used to be the racist pro-segregation party. We had elements within the Republican Party that moved it, right? Dr. Martin Luther King's father was a died in the wool Republican, and and it took the 1960 election and even possibly King getting arrested for the first time to move King and his father, Dr. King and his father, to vote with the Democrats. Parties change when you change them from within. Mm -hmm. And this is a distraction, but it's also not just the people, the way you win a political debate inside a party is by winning an election,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? And so the way the Republicans get less crazy is if less crazy Republicans win and more crazy Republicans lose, right? Because we behave our incentives. I want to get elected. I'm going to do what it takes to get elected within some sort of broad set of parameters. Once I am elected, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent getting unelected. I can't get more elected, right? If I'm more popular, that doesn't actually do me any good. That might do me harm because I'm, you know, the leaders pay less attention to me because I need less coddling. So what I'm going to hang on like hell to make sure I don't lose any votes. And if my voting base moves to the right, I'm gonna drift to the right so I don't lose them, right? You wanna make the Republican party the party of Liz Cheney that believes in democracy, um, the party of the old New England Republicans we grew up in who are pro-choice within reason, who are fairer taxes, like that kind of stuff, they've gotta start winning elections. And the people who think the way to solve the economy is to shift more money from poor people to super rich people need to lose. The mm-hmm. people who think that the way to save democracy is to lie about it need to lose, mm-hmm. right? And this this new third party thing is a distraction. It's gonna get some people some money. It's gonna get some people on television. It probably won't make a blip. It's also worth noting that third parties by and large don't impact outcomes of elections. I mean, mm-hmm. All the data I've seen indicates the Perot didn't elect. Okay, but uh, 2000 would like war with you. Well, no, no, other than some exceptions, right? Certainly. <laughs> a pretty important exception there. I don't have a lot of love for Ralph Nader in that and, and third party candidates, arguably uh, against Quentin. Against but if you think, aha, this is going to be the one, oh, this is Democrats saying, aha, this is great. This is going to pull Republicans and around the margins for Trump. I mean, maybe theoretically, but that's a little too clever by half. Mm-hmm. Didn't work for Anderson. It didn't, it didn't work in the 80s and
0: 90s. It's not, and it's going to go away. Like nobody cares, nobody cares. Yeah. The, the thing that, there are obviously a lot of things that bug me about this. One thing just sort of as a personality trait that bugs me, that, that, that drives me wild here, is I always try to approach politics by saying, okay, there are very few ideas that are truly new under the sun. So who else has tried this? What went well, what went poorly? And. Like I, I hear, I hear from people who are like this. Like, oh, but you know, the Republican Party displaced the Whig Party. Maybe that'll happen. Like, okay, you got that. You got that one case. It was in the nineteenth century. Like, what have you done for me lately in the past hundred and fifty years? But setting that aside, again, there's Americans elect just in twenty twelve. There's Howard Schultz just in twenty. Like, very recently, this same set of actors tried this same stunt. I don't see any introspection from them of why did Howard Schultz fail and why would this be different? Like the closest they've come is they say on their website that they're not just running a presidential ticket that they're gonna run people up and down the ballot um, which is the right thing to say. I see no evidence that they're doing it. And also since they don't have a platform they're just saying like, hey, stop by if you wanna run for things as the forward party will work it out. Like that, that's not an organizing strategy. thats That's just like stuff you put on a website. But the idea that in heading into 2024, that we're just saying like, yeah, we'll do the same thing that we tried last time, maybe it'll it'll work with no learning, no introspection, just seems so unserious. And like, it just says to me like, okay, there's a few like probably hedge fund billionaires who always think that their policy ideals are the ones that the American public supports if only they were given the chance. And then some consultant says, like, yeah, if you if you give me like seven figures, eight figures, we'll run ads that'll work that out. And like, on the one hand, I'm not opposed to taking money from from hedge fund billionaires. Like, sure, like treat them as suckers. But at some point, the stakes in American politics are high enough that we should be doing bigger and better things, which means learning from the things you just tried, what went well and what didn't. And like these folks just never do it. It's just always. Hey, you know, all these people don't vote, and they say in public opinion polls that they're centrist. So I guess if we say centrism, it'll all work. That that'll like, come on, guys. Why didn't that work four years ago?
1: Well, there's there are a couple of comms lessons in here. Mm-hmm. The first is just because people say they believe something in polling doesn't mean they'll actually do something in real life, right? right. Most people say they'd be more likely to vote for a candidate who supports why than one who doesn't. Like it may be true. All things being equal, if all the candidates were the voters preferred party, if everybody ran an equally good campaign and the stakes were equally high, that might be your marginal advantage. Mm -hmm. In the the day-to-day of politics, D's were for D's, R's were for R's. There's some sliver in the middle, you know, white suburban women you can get or whatever the group is in the congressional district, and there are some uh, voters who don't turn out all the time. Maybe you can turn out, maybe there's some voters who are going to stay home. Mm -hmm. But your magic thing that you ask about in the abstract won't change an election. What's mm-hmm. going to change an election are really big single issues, abortion uh, for the right, historically, maybe now for the left, party identification, right? It's not campaign finance, mm-hmm. right? It's not mandatory you know, recycling or something, that's just not, so what people tell you they're looking for and what they're willing to act on, very, very different. Yeah. And some, some scholarship that you and I keep coming back to in this podcast, the, the work of, of Hibbing and Tice Morse, right? There's this view that people don't vote because politics isn't about them. And if we made politics relevant to them, why they would come out and vote and participate in politics. That's by and large, not true. There are some people for whom that may be the case, but by and large, most people, most of the time view politics like a toilet. They Mm -hmm. want it to work. If Mm -hmm. they're thinking about politics, that means politicians aren't doing their jobs, right? They're not participating because they don't wanna, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not, oh, we haven't found the magical candidate who with all the great things, who talks about campaign finance and doesn't shout at people. No, it's not. So as comms people really make sure you're paying attention to what gets the people you need to act to act and pay less attention to kind of the atmospherics or just public opinion in the abstract. Please pay less attention to the editorial pages of the New York Times and Washington Post. I read them; they're great. They don't reflect on most it's voters act.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. What I would add to that is, from a commons perspective, it is easy when looking at public opinion polls to confuse set, attentive centrists with inattentive voters. And what you have here, we know from So much data and so much experience is a mass of inattentive voters. There is not a radical center yearning to be represented. In fact, the centrists pretty well represented in the Democratic Party. We have this president named Joe Biden. We don't have President Elizabeth Warren, he says, as he holds up his Elizabeth Warren mug. I love this mug.
1: (laughs) Another visual medium thing. You see, if people on YouTube, if you plugged YouTube as much as you snarked about it, we'd be in a better place. We do. There's a lot more to talk about, but we're already at 22 minutes, 11 seconds, Dave, and you want to talk about the the big awful that is Win Red.
0: we got to make fun of our Win Red now. So yeah, okay. We're moving on to our other thing. Uh, <laughs> setting aside Andrew Yang, who can't win primaries. So why doesn't he have a third party, which he also won't win with? And now we got to talk about Win Red. There's a story in the Times over the weekend. The Republicans are really mad at Google. And they've decided that the reason why their fundraising numbers are down in 2022 is because Google is maliciously sending their emails to the spam, uh, to the, uh, to the spam box. So they've actually gotten a bunch of senators to, to like lay into Google insisting that our emails all need to go to people. They shouldn't be caught in the spam filters. That's unfair. That's biased of you. And Peter, it's funny. This is funny. Now this is like most of my jokes. This is funnier once I explain it. So the explanation I want to give here to take us back a few steps, when red. Got created for the 2020 election cycle, and it was a big deal because ever since 2004, Democrats have had an infrastructure advantage in fundraising. Uh, in 2004, the the site ActBlue got created. ActBlue is a a site where any Democratic candidate or pack can have a fundraising page, and it's just really easy infrastructure for people to raise money for candidates. Republicans have never had an equivalent of Act Blue. I wrote about this in my book that came out 10 years ago. I studied all of the times uh, already, already by 2012 that Republicans tried to build an Act Blue and failed. They kept failing because by the time they were trying to build an equivalent, uh, it was clear that there's a lot of money in digital fundraising, which wasn't as clear in 2004. And so they kept on wanting to have control and take a bigger cut than Act Blue does. So it's not that Republicans couldn't fundraise online, but they didn't have a single centralized portal that makes it all really easy the way Democrats did. Fast forward to 2020, WinRed is supposed to be the solution. The reason why WinRed was gonna work is that the Trump team and Jared Kushner all said to the troops, all said to the entire Republican party, we don't care what portal you're using for fundraising before. From now on, you are using WinRed. Everybody has to get on board, we're all doing it. So command and control, everybody has to use WinRed. And in 2020, they did. Because when the Trump team says to the Republican Party, you have to use this, the entire Republican Party falls in line. There were a bunch of consultants who didn't like it, but what are they going to do? And then after the election, where they did raise tons of money, Wenward was really good at raising money. But then Shane Goldmacher, the New York Times, started digging into how they raised that money. And it turns out that the way that they raised that money was through the scammiest fundraising tactics we have ever seen in history. We're talking about fundraising tactics like Not only do they have a deceptive headline that gets you to give $50, but then they also have a pre-checked checkbox that makes that $50 donation weekly, even though you don't realize it's weekly. So you had, it usually wasn't 50, it was like 500. So there were all these cases that Goldmacher found, like people who after they died, like after they died, their kids are going through their bills and find out, you know, how did our, like, how did dad give $25,000 to the Trump campaign in the past two months, which by the way, is illegal. That's above donation limits. Um, And it turns out it's because when he donated, he didn't realize that he was making it uh, weekly. This led to a bunch of state's attorneys general investigating, uh, opening up investigations of Winred, uh, which they've been fighting in courts, but losing. So that's moving forward. So like the, 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 the fraud charges are still ongoing, but now into all this, Winred still working with the Trump crowd, is trying to send like 17 fundraising emails per day with these scammiest headlines possible. Google's filters are catching all of this and saying, okay, it looks like and walks like and smells like a spam email. So that's gonna go into the spam box. And their response to that instead of saying, oh, maybe we should get better at the practices of email fundraising is to yell and complain about Google. They are bad at this. They are bad people who have built people out of money and been total scam operators. Enjoy the spam box, fellows. So to that,
1: as yes. you well, shouted out Goldmacher, I'm going to put links in uh, PeterLodge.com podcast and also on my Medium page where we put the footnotes to, to all of our links. Goldmarker points out that the Trump campaign had to return well over, I think, $100 million Mm -hmm. to to voters they had built, which meant the Trump campaign basically gave itself a loan ahead of the election, which helped put it over the, the, tried to help it over the top, obviously failed. Um, In addition to to the spammy headlines, in addition to automatic recurring donations, there are the sign this petition, click here to sign the petition, which is a donation page. There's some headlines that say, I'm not asking for money, I just want your vote on a scale of like, do you think Joe Biden deserves to get reelected? Yes or no. And then in the little tiny print at the bottom, it says, you know, voting and submitting your, your email address and your phone, your cell phone number, which you have to do to vote, you, you allow us to send you unlimited texts and emails, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's harvesting. Uh, there's a democratic firm called Mothership Strategies that also behaves badly, not nearly yeah. as badly, Yep. Not nearly as badly, and without recurring, without recurring automatic donations, but with yeah. terrible subject lines. Right. One that, that the left used that they stopped using was a request for an interview. Mm-hmm. Right. So, oh, I have an interview, you know, if I'm involved in politics, such and such wants to interview. No, they don't. They just like they just like to take your money. The left stopped it. The right has recently picked it up. And it's it's the the term of art is churn and burn. Uh, there's some interesting recent articles about this. And I think people stop donating, right? You get a little spike, then they get more cynical and they tune out. And and I think the lesson for campaigns and for comms people is if you send these emails. People stop reading them. It turns them out. There's some evidence to indicate that it decreases turnout in the long term. Like this is a bad thing to do, right? Like eventually, bad behavior comes back to bite you in the ass. And in this case, on the the wind red side, mm-hmm. it's trials and courts and new laws that punish them. Plus, you know, hurting old people don't hurt old people, and on the left, you might actually be decreasing the kind of voter engagement that you need to increase. And to a point you made earlier, I don't know, and one of the earlier rants about all of this, is like engage people online, tell them, give them something to do. It's not like vote harder in November, it's write to this person, join this local organization, join this local group, give me ways to engage in the process, right? A recent piece, I think it was in the post, I'm gonna put in the, in the footnotes, point out that if something really bad happens, don't ask your base for money, tell your base how they can respond. Mm -hmm. Go here to volunteer, give blankets to the Red Cross, like whatever it is, now I'm engaging in the process. Now I'm not just an ATM, right? So it's, if you're a comms professional and you're thinking across media, you were talking about your Substack to echo things here. Great, cool, working across media, right? This is both a visual, we're gonna be on YouTube, but mostly it's audio across media. How else can you promote this? So, if you're a digital fundraising guy, it's not just about you know generating the last dollar for the next next uh, filing deadline. Mm-hmm. It's about engaging voters and activists in ways that create change, which is the point of the political organization to begin with.
0: Right. I I, I would note some of the people who do this particularly well are, are folks like AOC and Bernie, and that's both because they have comms operations that handle this well. I think they're also more integrated. In terms of your fundraising team isn't only being evaluated on how much money did they raise, but we have a full strategy here and we're going to figure out how are we building relationships people with people so that they both volunteer and help push our priorities and also, yes, give money. But that's what stands out to me is mo- mothership strategies and others, I think, have always viewed fundraising as, well, our job is to get you money. What you do with that money is somebody else's problem, and if that's all you're optimizing for, then you're going to end up being at least low key scammy, to and that can go all the way to maximally scammy, which unsurprisingly is what you get out of the Trump team. Like, wow, shockingly, the folks behind Trump University also scam old people for political money. Blow me over, who would have seen that coming? But you know, the the broader comps lesson here is you want to be clear on what your actual goals are, and since you are not a for profit organization just trying to uh, create maximum shareholder value you need to build relationships with your list to get them involved in the political process because you don't just want their money, that's not the point.
1: And it's not even even just a point to win the next election, all right, it's to create positive change. One way you do that is elected people with whom you agree, then you've got to get voter buying, you've got to get people acting. you've got to get them doing stuff, right? You make a really good point that fundraising is comms and it's gotta be integral to the comms team. And the job of comms isn't to get you hits or likes or clicks or dollars, It's to advance political and social change. And because we live in a democracy, at least as of August 1st, 2022, the argument is the point, Mm -hmm. right? That's what we got, right? Laws don't do anything. They create an enforcement mechanism, right? If laws did things, there'd be no crime because it would be illegal, (laughs) It's the, it's sanctions and threats of sanctions. It's social norms. It's people doing the stuff. Mm-hmm. So, please, and and there are firms, by the way, Mike Nellis's firm, Authentic. Who I know, I know you know Mike as well. They point out that they try to run sort of pro-democratic values, pro-social change organizations, and actually raise more money than than the churn and burn outfits. They cost more because you know it's harder to write more thoughtful emails, but they also raise you more money and, to your point a moment ago, do a better job of advancing social change.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, all right, with an eye on the clock, I do want to note that while the purpose of politics is not to just get likes. It matters a lot to podcasts. So I hope people will like and subscribe this podcast. Uh, Let's end just by asking, uh, what do you see coming in the next two weeks? What do you you see in the horizon? I've I've, I've I've got more doom. I've got more doom. So thanks for plugging the pod. Follow us,
1: like us, do all the things Dave said. I don't know if you saw this. According to the New York Times, they've discovered at the very bottom of the ocean, little tiny holes that look like it's unclear, maybe the little footprints, maybe the little tiny holes. I think there are two possible scenarios, maybe three. I've had a long weekend. I've had a rough, it's been a rough start to the week. I think there's three levels of doom here. One, there are holes that are going to drain all the water, a la water world. A, a really very bad movie that you should check out. Second, there are holes that evil things are going to come out of. They're going to just like they've been living in the core of the Earth. Tentacles are going to come out start grabbing people and killing them. Or the third is there's just an invisible sea creature walking around with little tiny feet and we can't see him and it will start eating ships. You should be scared. I'll put the link on PeterLodge.com podcast on a medium. What am I looking for? The opening weekend of the Premier League. Thank you very much. Jesse Marsh's lead. You
0: asked man. Starting with soccer. Yes. Jesse Marsh's lead's. Uh,
1: with 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 a handful of Americans, Brandon Aronson starting up front for them. You've got you've got Tyler Adams now playing. I think he's, he's at Palace. You've got you've got Pulisic at Chelsea. You've Matt Turner over at Arsenal as a backup goalkeeper. Looking forward to the Premier League. Go you Gunners!
0: All right, so. <laughs> Thank you for asking what I see coming. Chris, Chris Richards all,
1: at Palace, Tyler Adams at least, Chris, Chris Richards at Palace. at Palace. That was my oh mistake. My That's God. my mistake.
0: Okay. So um, first of all, I want to make clear to our listeners, since I like and respect our listeners, <laughs> don't, don't watch Waterworld. It's bad. You don't, it's it's not a cultural reference point you need. Don't watch it. I think in the next two weeks, Kirsten Cinema is going to demand the spotlight in ways that make me very mad and make me say a lot of regrettable things on Twitter. But I think ultimately, the Democrats are going to get this climate bill through the past the finish line. And I'm going to get really drunk that night. I'm going to drink some proper cocktails to celebrate the world being a little better than I thought it was. Um, So I think that's going to happen. Uh, I think Elon Musk is going to make an ask of himself in the next next two weeks, because it's in at least a week since we all were forced to pay attention to them. So I think that'll happen. And I think that we're not gonna need to worry about the tiny holes on the bottom of the ocean. What? I, we're I... fine. We're fine. The world's getting better. This is Carp, the sunny side optimist saying, you know what, for the next two weeks, things are gonna look up. It's gonna be sweltering outside, but that's August. Things are getting better. It's gonna be a good two weeks.
1: I'm leaving this podcast a little more confused than I was at the start of the podcast. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Bye everybody. <laughs>